Hi, I'm Allison Park, a staff reporter at the Yale Daily News, and this is Cross Campus, a YDN podcast. In this episode, we'll be covering the current status of 25-year-old senior Saifula Khan, who went on trial last February on charges that he raped a fellow Yale student in her Trumbull College dorm room. We'll be hearing from the reporter himself, on the process behind this four-month-long investigation of Saifula Khan. But of the news this week. It's been a big week for Yale professors. On Monday, the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences awarded Yale Sterling Professor of Economics William Nordhaus the 2018 Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Science. The award, evenly split with NYU Professor of Economics Paul Romer, honors the pair's research, which explains how nature and knowledge influence long-term sustainable economic growth. On Thursday afternoon, the country learned the names of the 25 winners of the 2018 MacArthur Genius Fellowship Awards, one of which went to public health professor Greg Gonsalves. Gonsalves has dedicated his career to epidemic prevention, and his research has not only implemented mathematical models that predict infectious disease spread, but has also advised policymakers about how to improve health care. We have some news about New Haven's mayor, Tony Harp, from the City Desk this week. According to public records obtained by the New Haven Independent, Mayor Tony Harp's administration has failed to disclose thousands of dollars spent in flights, meals, and hotels for trips and conferences over the last two years. This comes as the administration is already facing scrutiny for its spending in the context of austerity measures. The statements reflected two main categories of unreported spending. Firstly, some disclosed trips often cost thousands more than the administration's reported numbers, In at least two cases, the true expenditure was more than double the reported expense. In addition, the report showed other trips and expenditures by city staffers that went completely undisclosed. Costs included airfare and hotel stays, as well as several hundred-dollar meals at events such as conferences and symposiums. From the sports desk, we have updates about the Yale women's soccer team after their game against Dartmouth last week. The Big Green scored the winner with just under four minutes left on the clock in the second half, leaving the Elis to walk off the pitch still winless in the Ivy League this year. Yale, now sitting seventh in the table, has not scored a single goal during conference play this year. But moving on from the Dartmouth loss is now of the utmost importance. The Bulldogs will face Cornell in Ithaca this Saturday. The upcoming game now represents the best chance the team has to score a win during this Ivy campaign. From the Culture Desk, here's what to see this week. At 7.30 on Friday evening, catch the Yale Concert Band's centennial season opener in Woolsey Hall, directed by Thomas Duffy. They'll be remembering the year 1918, the end of World War I, the birth of Leonard Bernstein, and the beginning of the Yale Bands. This performance is free and open to the public. On Saturday at 8 p.m., the Yale Symphony Orchestra will take their turn in Woolsey Hall with a program featuring Elgar, Bartok, Theophanatus, and Respighi's four-movement symphonic poem, Pines of Rome. You can buy single concert tickets or a season pass at their website. That's a wrap for the news. Before we start, I just want to say that this episode contains sexually explicit and violent content that may be distressing to some listeners, so please take that into account before listening to the full episode. Since last year, Saifullah Khan has had a difficult past with the law, and John Andrews, a 24-year-old, supported him every step of the way. 
He helped Khan draft legal correspondence and develop courtroom strategies to undermine the credibility of his accuser. But in a series of interviews this summer, Andrews, who's gay, said he was sexually assaulted by the man he worked so hard to defend against rape charges. For some background, Andrews joined an organization called Families Advocating for Campus Equality, otherwise known as FACE, a group that advocates for college students accused of sexual misconduct. He joined the group in early 2016 after two male students in his fraternity at Hanover College each accused him of sexual assault. Hanover did not find Andrews responsible for the accusation made by the first student, but following a subsequent struggle with depression and a suicide attempt, Andrews dropped out of the college anyway. After Khan and Andrews met at a FACE event in November 2017, the pair spent hundreds of hours on the phone together in the months leading up to the trial, developing an emotional bond that evolved into a romantic relationship. On trial days, Andrews even sent Khan gift baskets to help him cope with the pressure. Khan was acquitted in March, and Yale allowed him to resume classes this summer. But shortly after the acquittal, his relationship with Andrews took a dark turn. Over the course of their seven-month relationship, Andrews said Khan sexually assaulted him during an alcohol-fueled threesome in Washington, D.C. last June, and physically attacked him on two other occasions. Khan's lawyer denies that Khan ever had sexual contact with Andrews and described the assault accusations as ridiculous and false and defamatory. But as the relationship developed, Andrews said it became clear that Khan saw him not just as a romantic partner, but also as a vehicle for facilitating sexual encounters with women. This next quote from Andrews is a lot, so you might want to brace yourself for this one. Andrews said that, quote, Saif always struck me as someone who is different. But he didn't strike me as someone who is guilty until he started telling me about his fantasies of raping women and men alike. They disturbed me, and I brushed them off as jokes for a long while before I realized how serious he was and how dark his fantasies were. I regret ever indulging in them. Andrews, who began speaking with the news in July about his experiences with Khan, said that he filed a protective order for fear of Khan retaliating when he found out that Andrews was discussing their relationship with reporters. Andrews also said he spoke to police about his allegations against Khan because he was concerned for the safety of Yale students now that Khan is back on campus. This semester, Khan is taking five classes. He is enrolled in a popular constitutional law lecture and The Criminal Mind, an introductory psychology lecture on the study of criminal behavior. He has finished the requirements for the cognitive science major. Khan has decided, however, to stay away from gender studies classes. Khan told one of his professors that he thinks he should be treated like a normal student, but knows that given the circumstances, this is nearly impossible. His profile photo on the dating app Tinder shows him walking outside the New Haven County Courthouse. The photo appeared on page A17 of the New York Times on May 5th, alongside a story about his rape trial. In his Tinder bio, he asked potential matches to be open to experiences and honest about expectations. He currently lives in an apartment on Chapel Street, a short walk from the center of campus. Hi, Britt. Thanks for coming to the studio to chat today. It's a pleasure. So how did you go about reporting this story? Yeah, so pretty much over the summer, John Andrews 
reached out to us um, versus the other way around since nobody really knew that this guy existed. It, it began, obviously, after they broke things off in June and then in, in, in the weeks after that, right, we began to have conversations with them on the record, or rather, rather I did, over the summer. And it was basically, I think, at the beginning was more just some off-the-record tips about, you know, these are, these are things that you should look into, these are concerning things. And then, but gradually, as kind of he was pushed out of the group, families advocating for campus equality, as he, I think, grew more concerned about his own run-ins with SafeCon and came to regard some of his encounters as assaults or, in, in, in one case, a sexual assault. Uh, he, he also, I think, grew concerned for security at, at Yale, for, for Yale students, and just at large for letting what who he, who he considered to be, you know, at at this point, a criminal uh, to go to go loose, which I think pushed him to to go on the record. And you know, he also tried to speak with the university wide committee on sexual misconduct for Yale, but they turned him away because his case wasn't underneath their wasn't underneath their jurisdiction because it didn't, it, the alleged assault didn't happen at a Yale event, and he's not a Yale student, John Andrews, that is. So um, yeah, yeah, he he went with the Yale Daily News, and in, in addition to the police, of course, who he also reported to. So also to contextualize the situation in regards to Yale, can you summarize a first article about Khan from last year and help us connect the dots from that allegation to this one? Yeah, of course. So the the, the, the allegation, it, it begins at this society uh, that, that has connections to Yale and New Haven since 1997 called, called Shabtai. So it's this Jewish secret society. They had like a hollow wings party the night of Halloween. And so Saif Khan was a member of the society. He was hanging out there. He sees this 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 girl who turns out to be the the Jane Doe, who's, who becomes like the alleged victim, or rather the accuser. And you know they 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 drink a bit. She she drinks a bit too too much, according to the affidavit. They make their way to the annual Woolsey Hall YSO like Yale Symphony Orchestra concert to this big Halloween tradition at Yale. Uh, but uh, Jane Doe is 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 drunk you know she, she's wobbling she says like or and some of her friends say and she vomits at the concert apparently uh and then Khan walks her back to her dorm room and then they have sex in her in her in her dorm room in a trumble after there's some like back and forth that like they kind of go in and out of the dorm room for various reasons i think if if, if my memory serves me correctly uh and then in come come morning there's this big blowout right where Pretty much, she says like, "Oh my God! Like, I can't believe that this happened. Uh, like, go leave now." And Saifula Khan is really confused. Then he receives, you know, texts that seem to suggest that, that something went went wrong. Where like, you know, his side of the story is that, "Oh, this is just a regular sexual encounter." Whereas, you know, her side of the story is obviously that he he forced herself, he, he forced himself onto her while she was drunk and intoxicated and unable to give consent. So last year, we just got this totally offhand hit uh, tip from. A student at the Yale Daily News who was working uh, in the New Haven courthouse, and she, you know, there was there was pretty much the, the way it was going to happen originally was that the the original trial, you know, like like, like the rape trial for Saifullah Khan was going to happen without anybody batting an eye. So this Yale student, she was working in in the courthouse. Some random <laughs> person who was who was posted there said like, "Oh, you should check out this trial. It's like this." really intense like sexual assault charges against a Yale student. And so I kind of asked around, figured out like, okay, there's this guy, Saifullah Khan, he's going on trial. That's interesting. Uh, and then, you know, it was, I, I tried to learn more and more about him, but 
and on the seminal moment was just getting our hands on the the um affidavit in the case from the courthouse and that which kind of pretty much laid out exactly what the allegation was uh and we had we had that was back in november when we published that first story some people posted on facebook about their own the kind of you know it uh concerning experiences nothing that, that was like criminal per se but their own concerning experiences with Saiful Khan while he was at Yale. And then from then on out, I think it was really just waiting for the trial to happen. Then, of course, he was found not guilty in all, on all counts of like first, second, third, and fourth degree sexual assault, all connected to this one allegation of rape. And uh, then over the summer, right, we did some reporting about how, you know, Yale had lifted his emergency suspension from uh, enrolling in classes, which they placed on him the second he was arrested, or not the second he was arrested, but... Um, pretty much right after he was arrested in uh, November 2015. And from then on out, it was really just reporting this story after we got into contact with John Andrews. So I know you can't talk about your confidential off-the-record conversations with Andrews, but from a general reporting perspective, how does one build up the trust to talk about such a sensitive topic? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the basic rule is that you know, if you're if you're reporting this, it's constantly double checking to make sure that when you're asking other people for a comment about, you know, allegations that he's making or kind of information that he's feeding us to always I think this is a general rule for for reporting, but it's like checking on with your sources to make sure that, you know, is it is it okay for me to ask, you know, this other guy who who you mentioned about this particular thing? Like, will he know that it comes back to you and will that like hurt your personal life? You know, is it in this case, like, is it okay for me to ask the university about this? Like reporter source relationships are like any human relationship. It takes a long, long time to build up trust and that trust can be lost very, very quickly. Uh, and that was kind of the name of the game here, right? It took mm-hmm. several months uh, for, for everyone to be comfortable going on the record uh, to, to slowly build up the case, to, to vet everything out. Um, right. So and, you were reporting on this case for four months. Did it take you yeah. four months to get to that point or was Andrew's willing to open up pretty quickly i think it, it was really a matter of obviously he had a lot to take into account because he he, he he didn't really care about this group families advocating for campus equality but uh the whole his, his whole relationship with saifullah khan really blew that up and as a result he um he was he was steadily pushed out and then he also resigned after that um but then of course like not that like he didn't just lose all of his allegiances i think there was like a serious you know moral question for him about you know, if if in his mind that Saifullah Khan is like this really bad guy and like what is it like, you know, how is he affecting other people in face by, by going on the record, but ultimately obviously came to the decision that it was worth it to go on the record. It was a long way to get there, uh, certainly. So in Andrew's experience, what were the warning signs from Khan in terms of sexual assault? Yeah, um, I mean, he, he gets into this in the, in, the, in the story a bit and I'll try to be as helpful as possible. It's obviously... Um, you know, it was the dark, the dark humor that, that Saifullah Khan had, or sometimes not even just dark humor, just real suggestions about like, like rape jokes or just, you know, every, I think him suggesting that, you know, woman just wanted him to sexually assault them according, according to Andrews, uh, and, and, and pretty much like very, very like lewd, you know, screenshots of text messages where he just wouldn't even refer to woman as woman, but just referred to them as whores. Uh, and then. I mean, it is cer- certainly not to, I guess, shame BDSM culture, but that was a whole context of the relationship where Saif would, according to Andrews, would pretty much have him like just do these really, really depraved things, which meant to meant to threaten him out of out of arguments or out of out of out of opposing him during like personal slights between the two, 
uh, like, you know, you have the incident in Indianapolis, right, where they where they fight in a bar, Andrew says, and then afterwards, you know, Scythe kind of tries, tries to suffocate him a little bit, like, to scare him or, like, hyperventilate him. Uh, or you have in Indianapolis where, you know, Scythe allegedly, like, strikes John across the face after having an argument about finances. And um, then, of course, like, you have this, um, I mean, obviously, I guess, yeah, like, and then you have this, like, this threesome gone terribly wrong, right, where... Andrew says he was like just coerced to to be to be penetrated by this third party and was just totally not a sign of it. But I mean, no, like he 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 really thought that Cyclocon truly like loved him or at least cared about him and would always protect him. So it it took him a few, it took him a while after all this. I think really come to terms with what had happened to him. If you can expand, what else did you find in your investigation that didn't make it to the article, and how what did you decide what to censor? Yeah, uh, so, you know, there's this essential anecdote about the threesome, um, and I, it, 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 it was a, it was a fairly graphic um, encounter, and you know, in, interviewing both the the female participant in in the threesome and John about it, you know, it obviously it would have been a little bit too gratuitous to go into every single detail of what they were doing that night. In addition to you know, if we, I guess, like we could have really, really harped on all the text messages that we had from Khan. Um, you know, sexually graphic text messages between him and John Andrews just to like confirm they 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 really were in a romantic relationship, but um, you know that doesn't really I th- I think that just would have <laughs> sensationalized the story um beyond any reasonable purpose. I'd say the two things are just like it it, it could have been a lot darker I guess or but I think kind of like needlessly graphic, and then number two was just kind of giving it 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 really the, the story really did reporting out the story really did give a pretty um, uh, like startling look inside of this organization face and what was, what was going on and just it's, in, its internal politics. After your second article came out in the YDN last Friday, my general sense is that people have been feeling frustrated about the fact that Khan's still around. People are angry about Kavanaugh, but perhaps it's different when the offender was on campus almost 30 years ago. It's an entirely different feeling altogether to know sitting in the same lecture halls as we are. What have you been hearing from students or con or the university? Right. So as of now, right, we, we, we received a lot of positive notes from, from, from Yale students um, in, in, in support of the story, which is always you know, good, I, I guess, from the, from the reporter's view. Though uh, we've heard nothing from Saiful Khan since uh, the story. Uh, and we've heard nothing from from the university either. Though we are trying to ask around with, through our own reporters, trying to ask you know President Peter Salovey, Dean of Yale Marvin Chun, if if they're going to do anything about this, if they can do anything specific at all. Uh, because I mean, certainly right with the the current temperature on campus, where you have like a monument to sexual assault survivors on on cross campus at 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 the women's table, which is more in response to Kavanaugh, but then ended up coinciding with the story. Then you see people in like the group that, that put it up posting also about the story about Saifullah Khan. You know, people are, are certainly paying attention. And I think that the big question, like the big million dollar question on, on everybody's minds is, you know, what is the university going to do about this? Uh, like, and is there anything they, they can do? What do you think is the best thing that the Yale administration should do? Yeah, I mean, the best thing is that, number one, they need to figure out this university-wide sexual uh university-wide committee on sexual misconduct 
case that's that's facing Saifullah for the same allegation that that landed him uh in in handcuffs in, in November 2015 you know it's it's been dragging on since since the spring normally these are only supposed to take 60 days but now it's been what I guess like a, over 180 days obviously it's supposed to be a private matter but I think people are waiting with bated breath to see what the university does they're wondering like why they haven't either found him responsible or not responsible yet like, like the guessing game here probably suggests that uh Yale is just very very afraid of facing a lawsuit or like an office of civil rights complaint from the department of education uh facing them following any decision they make that negatively affects con since he's pretty you know now built into families advocating for campus equality which has connections to the department of education because they're, they're they're pretty close with betsy devos relatively speaking from a from a political angle and as long as devos is in the, in the department of education yale probably feels like they're not gonna have any friends in the federal government especially when it comes to adjudicating a case like this so um, that's probably why there's a bit of a stalemate, um, but I don't think Yale students are really going to be receptive to that if they, if they, if they want to see change. Before we close this episode, I just wanted to acknowledge that this topic is emotionally draining and triggering for many people. I understand if you're not comfortable hearing about it on campus. The contact information for various Yale resources regarding sexual harassment and assault is in this episode's description, including the Share Center and the Title IX coordinators. That's it for this episode of Cross Campus. I'm Allison Park, and I'll talk to you in our next episode.